Appreciate you all joining us. I'm Will Levice. And I'm Eric Clavel. And you've tuned into Levice and Clavel, smart talk without all the noise, breaking down the black issues you care about with real facts, telling it straight from a college-educated, streetwise, black male perspective. Because to us, that's the way it is. Today's show, The Trump Legacy. Eric, you will remember back in the election, 2015, I'll give you your props. You called it. You said Trump was going to win. We were on Barbara Ham Lee's show, Another View, down in Norfolk, Virginia. And we all said you were crazy because that's what the polls were saying at the time. <laughs> that's what anybody that had any sense was saying at the time. And especially me being a New Yorker and growing up and being very, very familiar with Trump and his shenanigans over the years, I just thought that it was no way yeah. anybody wanted to take him seriously. As you see, he had no 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 shot at all at winning New York. Never won New York. I don't even think he's gone back there at all for any kind of kind of rally, anything <laughs> like that. Maybe upstate New York. Right. But you did you called it. We give you your props. And you remember after <clears throat> the election, I said on Barbara's show again, we were on there and I said that I think as crazy as this sounds and as distraught as everybody is, that his presidency would, in some strange way, actually be good for America in the sense that it was going to force right. us as a nation to really look at who do we really say we are, who do we believe that we are, and who are we going to be. Yeah. And so lo and behold, as all of the four years, things that have happened, where are we at right now? We got people who storm the capital, the center of democracy, yeah. not just for the country, the center of democracy on the planet yeah. is the U.S. capital because the United States is the nation that models democracy. And we got our own citizens storming the democracy because they were urged on uh, by Donald Trump, who has since now become the first president in the history of the nation of to be impeached twice. <laughs> so what does that tell you? What, what's your thoughts on, you know, his legacy and what this is going to be? Well, well, I want to go back to the uh, another view, the radio show that we were on. Again, shout out to our mm-hmm. sister, Barbara Ham Lee, Lisa Golly. And, yes, we love you. You know, and they've been holding it down in Hampton Roads area uh, on WHRO, WHRV for years. And they've been the voice of, of African-American issues from an African-American perspective. But in 2015, when you had 17 people, 17 candidates vying for the Republican nomination, of course, during the roundtable, the question was, who do you think is going to win? And I said, this man, Donald Trump, is going to get the Republican nomination. You guys laughed me out of the studio, you know, but before you did, I told you why. And it was because he had tapped into the heartbeat of white America. Now I make distinction because at the end of the day, America is about privileges, who has it and who does not. Now I'll say this, every white American, every non-black American do not uh, have the feelings that what we have seen happen on our capital, the siege, the insurrection, the violent mob uh, that we saw during the time period of the Civil War. Everyone doesn't have that heartbeat. Some people were voting for Trump for different reasons. What those reasons are, I don't know, but they they did it. Now, with that being the case, if we go back into history, 
go back into the public policy, go back to our constitution, we see where our country was created specifically for white males, Anglo-Saxon Protestant of privilege, access, and education. Now, eventually other white males did not have the wealth or the education or those other areas of access were incorporated into the workings of society for their benefit. But African-American blacks who were slaves at the time did not have the opportunity uh, to participate fully in the American uh, experiment. Native Americans who were undergoing genocide at the time did not have the opportunity. Women did not have the opportunity. And anyone who was non-white Anglo-Saxon Protestant males, okay? There's definitely a caste system, caste system rooted in race and and class and, you know, gender. That's right. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. That's what we had created. Now, we're talking from the time of the uh, founding of the country, and we look at that, some look at that as the landing of uh, Europeans here in America. Some look at that as the landing of enslaved Africans in 1619. Some look at that uh, during the time of our creation of our Constitution. Wherever time you look at it, that, that principle of, of caste and privilege existed from day one. So you, you said something about, you know, Virginia. You think about Thomas Jefferson, who wrote Notes on Virginia, whose document is very much at the root of yeah. what of the Constitution and Bill of Rights and all these other historical documents where he talked about, you know, inferiority of black people yeah. and so forth and and no rights and then he's and at the same time he's got a relationship with a black woman. So it shows how you can be a racist and a white supremacist and still have relationships and intimate relationships and have bear children yeah. uh, with black people. Yeah. Yeah, because right. and then Will, you mentioned how a person can believe in a, a social order and create public right. policy and support it for their reasons, but in their personal relationships, they end up having intimate relationships or good friendships with those same people that they want to keep in a certain order. So it's a mixed bag. But at the end of the day, it still adds up to, you know, one group of individuals uh, subjecting the rest or others uh, to inequities and inequalities. But I want to go back to how he tapped into the heartbeat of, of white America at that time period. If you notice, before Donald Trump, we had eight years of Barack Obama. Now, you would think that the election of a black man and a black family in the White House who served without scandal, who served exemplarily uh, through all of his administration. Now, through policy, and I have, and you have, and others have given um, constructive criticism for not going too far, for not going far enough for the right. people that didn't have more specifically African-Americans, right? So that constructive criticism is there. But at, at the end of the day, he served with excellence, without scandal, and our country became stable because we had eight years of President Bush, who basically took a, uh, uh, took a, 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 a surplus uh, that President Clinton put our country on, spent it in about 18 months, like a, like a trust fund, and, and took us into wars that we know now that we never should have been in, right? So we wasted a lot of finance, a lot of capital, a lot of influence, a lot of good lives of brave soldiers and people that were killed in those uh, in, in, in those wars that we are still kind of sort of in, right? So if we look at that and, 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 and move uh, ahead, we look at the financial crisis that really took a lot of white Americans out of good paying uh, 
six-figure jobs that he never got back, right? So now you had the backlash on Wall Street. Now you had an underrumbling of the birthing movement, which was a racist movement saying that this man wasn't born here. Now you have white resentment of a situation, of a country, of a caste system, of a privilege system that was meant for them. But now we see black people, we see non-white people rising up above us, something's gotta be wrong. So I think it also goes a little bit further. I believe that 2021 is 1861 all over again. 1861 was the start of the Civil War where one part of white America literally said, we're not going to allow equity and equality of a certain group of people, enslaved Africans. And we're going, instead of working together, we're going to split the country. And we went through a bloody four-year war from 1861 with the first shot fired at Fort Sumner, South Carolina. But I believe the first legal shot that was fired uh, was the Dred Scott case, which I believe and others, I teach constitutional law, civil rights. I believe that other uh, believe that that was the worst case decided ever by the U.S. Supreme Court. It stated, right. in effect, uh, by the Chief Justice uh, Taney, that there are no rights that any black man has that any white man is bound to respect. That sealed right. what I believe was the, the 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 apex of white privilege, right? Yeah, the caste system has sealed it. This is this is this is the permanent position of these groups of people. That's it. So now we have a society that that operates around that. But what happened during the after the Civil War, where we during the time of Reconstruction, where we had a great opportunity to reconstruct our nation from the evils of its past, we did not. We did not stamp out the hatred of discrimination, the hatred of the caste system that we created, and the, the, the terrible public policies of the slave codes and the black codes eventually that led to limiting African-Americans and other people who are not Anglo-Saxon, Protestant, white males from achieving or having the opportunity to operate in society. So, so you think, so you saying in some sense that the Obama administration was that sort of second reconstruction or the beginnings yeah. of the second reconstruction when that opportunity was there to um, sort of remake or have America truly be the promise that it said it, it wants to be in terms of equality? Is that what you're saying? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. And I, I like that. As a matter of fact, if you don't mind, I might use that to write an article. And op -ed. But but <laughs> that long term, I, want, I might want to. I might want to copyright residuals down the road. Yeah, I mean because you know hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of great things that we could have done as a country during that time period, but we refused. You know, we uh, you had those that acted out. You know, that wanted to uh, show themselves and show who they are. And what Trump did in his presidency after he won, he took the foot off of the head of the proverbial serpent of racism, mm -hmm. hatred, and discrimination, and gave a bully pulpit, gave a bullhorn, and gave an okay by limiting our federal officers from stamping, from, from keeping their foot upon the head of those actors, those individuals. Mm -hmm. And what has happened is we saw Charlottesville. Charlottesville happened right here in our backyard. Uh, here, in, here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, where we saw these individuals start to operate, start to uh, operate as if this was, again, 1861 again. I mean, we saw images that literally, 
I mean, made us cringe. Again, we didn't have the, the individuals that had the opportunity and, and access and the ability to stamp that out did not rise to the occasion. We saw it again uh, in Michigan just recently where a militia men started training to kidnap the governor of Michigan and the governor of Virginia and others. I mean, come on. This is 2020, 2021. We can't make this up, right? And we also saw it be horrific shameful, disgraceful actions of a violent mob of white supremacists to send up on our U.S. Capitol at the behest of our president and wanting to cause a violent overturning of a lawful election. So the legacy of the Trump administration on day one has started out as a lie during his inauguration by saying he had more people there than, than Obama, which clearly... You know, you don't even have to count. You just look at the pictures. He had more white spots in, in, you know, where people would be standing for an inauguration and and what I call ball spots, right, Uh, than you can count. Uh, But unfortunately, it started on a lie. It progressed with disinformation and more lies. And it culminated in an insurrection. So I think that that's the Trump administration in a nutshell. Yeah, I, I agree with you, you know, very much so in how he essentially pimped that undercurrent of America, that racist undercurrent that is almost always, like you mentioned, a snake is almost always ready to rear its ugly head. That's right. What I also think is nuanced about this and that is often not talked about is how the Republicans or those who would be the Democrats, rather, and those who would be, you know, on the opposing side of Trump, also opened the door, the back door to allow such a thing to happen. Similarly, you mentioned 1861, similarly to how the North entered into deals with the South for uh, removal of federal troops, yeah. you know, after the Civil War, which opened the door for, again, that snake, that racism to rear its ugly head. Because let's be honest, the same racism, racism is racism. So I'm from the North, I'm from the segregated yeah. North. You're from the segregated South. Yeah. What do I mean by that? That racism, that strain also exists in the North. It's just played out in a different, maybe perhaps more subtle way, yeah. depending on the situations, depending on the circumstances. So what has also happened here is as you go back in the history and you pull these strains together is that the Democrats coming out of the Bush administration, coming out of the Clinton administration, there's been a feeling of certain segments of the society that the society is not working for us. Yeah. And so this is where we also remember the Occupy Wall Street movement. Yeah. What were people talking about? The society is not working for us right. in the way it is, you know, we need a more just society that's working for everyone across the board. Right. And this is something that Bernie Sanders had tapped into in terms of a, a politician who was really speaking to that. Right. So you had people who, as I go back and I remember the Obama election, I was blessed to be there to cover it as a reporter. I was there in Denver, in the stadium. I saw a variety of people, all colors of people who were really putting their hopes into him yeah. 
and belief that here's someone who is honest, who is going to not be a typical politician, who's not coming from money, who is going to see and understand my pain and work for a more just society that is going to work for us, the common people. And so I think what also happened with his Democrat, that those were his lofty goals as well, but his colleagues still staunched in that old way of doing things that didn't work during the Bush administration and, you know, that wasn't working through the Clinton administration. Again, let's be honest about this. They didn't get on board and really tap into the strain in the country of people who really, truly wanted to see America that worked for everybody. So they opened the door for it. So after eight years of Obama and I put all my faith in this hope, change you can believe in, keep hope alive message. Eight years later, we got all this partisan politics going on that Republicans with the Tea Party movement, the whole thing, uh, didn't want Obama to, to succeed. And you also had Democrats who were culpable because they weren't, again, tapping into this energy that the country seriously wanted uh, it to work for everyone. Right. So... So there's a certain logic to the illogic of voting for Trump in that here's another guy that's coming who's not a politician, who's saying, I'm going to clean up the swamp. He's gotten wealth, we think. You know, I remember interviewing Dick Gregory, Dick, the late, great Dick Gregory telling late me, that boy, don't have a, that, that boy don't have a quota. He told me, something's broke. And we're finding that out to be the truth, that yes, he was broke. Yeah. But he came saying, hey, I'm going to clean up the swamp. I'm going to. And he was talking to these folks' issues in a way that other politicians weren't. So remember, Hillary Clinton, what did he call? What did she call those folks? The plurals, yeah. Right. Even even um, Mitt Romney as a Republican, he was caught on tape in a hot mic moment, caught on tape talking about the, you know, these individuals and and uh, why why don't they just pick themselves up by by the bootstrap? Why don't they just get a loan and and so forth? So there's this issue of class yeah. that uh, both sides I feel failed to tap into, which made it easy for as you said for Trump to tap into it. He was shrewd enough as a salesman and as a con artist yeah. and as a pimp to tap into it. And that's why you see that's also a big piece of this that is often not being talked about. But that's the logic behind why a lot of people did vote for him, even though they absolutely did not, uh, you know, subscribe to his behavior. But they voted for him because this is a guy maybe Obama couldn't do it. Maybe this guy will change, make changes and and shake up the system to such a degree that it will start working for it. But what we've seen is, again, like I said on Barbara's show, America's being brought to the brink. Yeah. And, and Will, you keep in mind, race is going to be a part of anything that we do in America because we were constructed on a race class, period. So when people say, why you got to talk about race? Because race is what we were, were built upon. And that is the legacy of European colonialism as well. And I'll make a note about European colonialism. I think we're seeing the influence of European colonialism, meaning a ruling power structure, start to crack. Because during the Black Lives Matter movement, 
across the world, especially Europe, you saw individuals taken to statues that represent European colonialism, which represents lies, start to be torn down. You start to see the truth about Christopher Columbus, who Spike Lee called the terrorist on high seas. Uh, and that, that's a very, uh, I think, a very uh, proper designation because every every country that European colonial uh, powers went, they went to uh, discover, steal, kill, destroy, and recreate a society for them. And it's interesting that the only country they really weren't able to do that in was mainland China. So we, we see a power structure uh, that is creating where we have a dual we would probably end up having a dual power structure, which because America was weakened under President uh, Trump. Also, Ethiopia wasn't colonized either. Right. Ethiopia. But, uh, right. but I think that, that we just, we find ourselves here where we're confronted with who do we really want to be. And um, I think that the problem that I have is I still see there being a weak analysis of what is really going on is still finger pointing um again if if as i sit here and i say you got to look at the fact that 70 million people almost half of the country still did vote for trump yeah after uh, after charlottesville yeah yeah and, and again the, all of those people are not illogical and all those people are not just racist what what i believe a lot of those people were voting for is i'm trying to I'm trying to roll the dice here and get somehow get to a country where uh, these things, this country, this nation is going to start working for me. And maybe this guy and all of his craziness, maybe the, the craziness is what we need to shake up the traditional politicians to actually make some move, make some policies to actually do some things that's going to change something. And so now I see his legacy as exposing all of these um, dirty laundry, all of this ugliness to the point where, okay, is Joe Biden and the Kamala Harris uh, administration going to finally lead Democrats as well as is there going to be a bipartisan effort on the Republican side to actually say, okay, let's pay attention and really tap into what is really the American people are asking for is a nation that begins to work for the common good for the, for the, for the majority of the people, as opposed to us governing just to advance our own self-interest or, or just to win at any cost or just to, you know, make the next victory as if, as if this is some type of game. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, you, you're a political consultant, you know, a lot of times these elections, you know, as I cover them as a reporter, it's, Goes it, it, it plays out like it's some kind of game. It's just about winning or losing in my side, and that's it. Right. But, but, Will, I think you hit the nail on the head with the problem of what the system sees as an educated and involved voter electorate, right? So mm-hmm. uh, 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 when you understand how the game works, then that's when you start to uh, worry uh, that individuals are going to start demanding more of what government is and can do. But I, but I believe that an informed society, an engaged society is a better society, hands down. And ultimately, if you meet the needs of the people, they're always going to work for the good of the country. You know, I'd never forget when I was in the military, I, I, I did something before 
the man that I was over at the time. And my first sergeant pulled me to the side. And I actually uh, had chow before then. <laughs> we were in a field field exercise. And he said, he told me that I can go. He said, Clay, well, you can go in and eat. And uh, I said, I already ate first sergeant. He pulled me to the side. He was a very tall, very big, imposing uh, man. And he looked me in the eyes. He said, never eat before your men. Always take care of your men first. And your men will always take care of you. And that's that stayed with me throughout my life because it also goes back to service. You know, when you're given an opportunity to serve in public office, serve as a CEO, president, or have individuals under you, always take care of them first. And they will take care of you. They will take care of the organization. They'll take care of the mission. And if we go back to that or actually start doing that as a country, we're going to have a, we don't have to say make America great again, which is a racist statement within itself. We'll say, how great can America be? Because everyone will start pouring into it. But I, I, I think we need to really take a look at the lessons learned from the Trump legacy and understand what the Trump legacy is. The Trump legacy itself is a, a, a legacy of lies. It's a legacy of hatred. It's a legacy of discrimination. It's a legacy of being self-serving. And it's a legacy that is a black eye, not just in America, but across the world. Because as you stated, with the violent insurrection and the mob uh, in Washington, D.C. that we saw, I thought that was the exclamation point at the end of the Trump legacy of his administration. Because it shows that the 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 stain, the black eye that it gave to democracy in America. I said, I said, listen, that day was a terrible day for us. It was a terrible, terrible day for democracy, but it was a good day for every enemy, every dictator, every person that we've lectured in the world to say that you should not treat your people like this, that you should have free and fair elections. I think they were sitting back saying to ourselves, look at America. But one thing I do want to say, and, and I think we all have to understand that American exceptionalism is real because we are exceptional. So we're going to get through this. But we'll, like you said, in order to do this, we've got to learn from our mistakes of the past. We've got to properly uh, interpret and label the problems that we see in society and ensure that we don't repeat them again. So we'll see what the next four years hold. But as the history books have started to be written about this legacy of our soon-to-be former President Trump, um, it's, it's one where we have to take stock of ourselves and understand that this country only works when it works for everyone. Well, we got to wrap. And I'll add to that when we think about what Black people need to do. We got to stay engaged. Yeah. Can't take the feet off the pedals. We got to stay engaged and we got to help. Held. We got to hold our, um, our political leaders accountable. That's right. Got to hold them accountable. Yeah. So with that, as we wrap up, um, special thanks to our producer Ben Bailey, who keeps everything right and tight behind the scenes. Check us out weekly as we discuss black issues, in order to empower you and all of us to do the things that we must do to thrive. And look, follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and our website at lavisaandclaville.com. And if you have any questions, email us at lavisaandclaville at gmail.com. Because at the end of the day, 
that's the way it is.